You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the LA International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in LA since 1989. While the uh, the offering is being passed, um, I have the privilege of uh, of introducing to you today uh, an amazing brother. He is the leader of our New York City Church of Christ, which has been uh, a pillar, amen, amongst our churches. Almost 3,000 members in the New York City Church. Uh, he and his wife, Cynthia, have, have led it, uh, I think, since 2003 or four, right about that time, and has been a part of it for many years prior to that. He has two beautiful daughters. Um, he has really been a pillar and an inspiration as a minister in our fellowship of churches. I've gotten to hear him preach at, at world conferences, at leadership training conferences. Uh, he's a trainer of men. Uh, he is a man of deep conviction. Last night, uh, our campus, our teens, our singles, all those youth and family that gathered for the Reality 19 got to hear him preach the word powerfully. It was awesome. Uh, very, very encouraging time. And we have the special privilege here in West L.A. to uh, to have him come preach our Sunday morning sermon, continuing our Unleashed series. So I want you right now to open your hearts, open your minds, get yourselves ready. Uh, we're going to hear the Word of God preach from Mr. Sam Powell. Let's welcome him at this time. I can shout at everybody. Or I can use this microphone and save my voice. Uh, first of all, I just want to say it's an honor to be here with all of you. Had a great time in sunny L.A. It's uh, definitely a change of climate from cold New York, and I praise God for creating places like this. Even though I don't live in them, I do honor him for having made them that I can visit from time to time. So it, it has really been uh, an encouraging time. Last night was great uh, being with everyone and seeing your youth and just the potential for for leadership in the future here is amazing. I want to thank Steve and, and Carrie uh, so much for your hospitality and and for your faith and for the way that you've stepped out here to uh, lead in the West. It's really an inspiration to me uh, to know that you're still on the cutting edge. Uh, even at this time in your lives. And it was great to spend time with Todd and, and Tanya and uh, with Ken. And it's at Lena. And Lena, it was, it was great. They fed me, so they will always be uh, dear to my heart. Uh, that was an uh, encouraging meal and encouraging fellowship. Uh, I know you've been doing a series on Unleashed. And I want to say a prayer to, uh, in a minute because I'm supposed to talk about Unleashed Habits. Unleashed habits and talk about turning bad habits into good habits. Uh, this message is only for people who ever had bad habits. If you never had a bad habit, you're free to leave. Uh, or you can come up and take my place and help us move past it. Let's pray together. God and Father, thank you for your kingdom. Thank you for your word. Thank you most of all for Jesus. May this message help us uh, to see him and to adore him and to strive to imitate him. 
and in a more powerful way. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Unleashed habits. And the habit that I chose to talk about today covers a broad spectrum of habits. And I think I have a clicker here. Am I empowered here to, to use this? All right, I, th- I think I think I'm supposed to use this. And the habit I want to talk about unleashing is selfishness. Selfishness. It is at the root of all bad habits. And Jesus came through the cross to unleash us from our bad habits due to self-centeredness and self-indulgence. Uh, Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. And three times there in that garden, he prays, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. He struggled in that garden. He didn't want to face the impending pain and suffering that it would take for his blood to be shed for the redemption of all mankind. Like us, he was human in that way. And he cried out over and over again, take it away, yet not as I will, but as you will. And really that needs to be the theme of our Christian life. Not my will, but your will be done. We'd be better people, we'd be better disciples, better husbands, better singles in the Lord. If this theme dominated our hearts and minds, not my will, but your will be done. If we want to be unleashed from the bad habits of our sinful nature, To follow the good habits of the Spirit, we must decide over and over and over again, day after day, not my will, Lord, but your will be done. Most of the trouble that I've gotten in in my life is because of selfishness. If my wife was here, she would tell you that, that she's never wanted to leave me, praise God. But she's wanted to kill me quite a few times because of selfishness in my life. And you think about the bad habits that are rooted in selfishness. Just little things like leaving the dishes in the sink for someone else to wash. Driving the car and leaving it on E, knowing that the next person who got in there would have to fill it up. Leaving your dirty clothes on the floor, your hair in the sink, and one of my, one of the ones that, that gets me the most is, is leaving the garbage can overflowing. Just putting one more thing up there, knowing that nothing else can fit in there, instead of emptying the doggone thing. I mean, that just ticks me off. Because now they're going to want me to be Sam the garbage man, cause I gotta take it out. I, 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 I have to pray, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Some of us interrupting others, not going to bed on time, not getting up on time. And then one that plagues the kingdom, lateness. 
And lateness is selfishness because what it says is it all centers around me. That it really doesn't matter until I get there. And I'll get there when I, I, I well please because I'm that important. It's just all about you. And then, of course, selfishness leads to more egregious sins like lying, adultery, immorality, a lack of forgiveness, bitterness, and criticalness are all rooted in selfishness because our attitude is it is what I want and not what God wants. And you can never give glory to God living a life of selfishness. You know, Todd talked about this scripture last week. Then he said to them all, this is Jesus. If anyone would come after me, he must do what, church? Deny himself and take up his cross. How often? Christianity is daily. You have to take up your cross daily. You, You can't leave it home any day. Because every day there's something to be crucified in your sinful nature. And then he says, and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake or for me will find it. Jesus shows us the power of a crucified self. And he says, if you're going to follow me, you can't do what you want to do when you feel like it and still be a Christian. I don't always want to go to church every Sunday. I'm a preacher and I don't want to go to church sometimes. But I go because it's not my will, but his will be done. I don't always want to to do the things that God calls me to do. To be affectionate and warm. You, You ever just have times when you just don't want to be bothered? When you don't want to answer the phone, you see the caller ID and you go... Like, I, I, no, no, you know who it is. You know they want something. No, not now. D- don't pick up. And then your wife or somebody picks up the phone, somebody, and you're like, please, what, what, what are you doing? <laughs> just, just dealing with my own selfishness. And sometimes we don't even want to study the Bible with people because it interrupts our schedule. And we won't be able to see our favorite TV show. Or whatever, or get that afternoon nap that we need so desperately, don't we? Jesus shows us the power of a crucified self. He shows us that the way up is down. That the way to be filled is to empty ourselves. That the way to win is to lose. And the way to be first is to be last. And the way to glorify is to crucify. Your cross is not your wife or your children or your boss, or your coach, or your teacher. Your cross is you, and your selfish nature, and your sinful nature. It's a poem that I, I read from time to time that I, that I read in a leadership book, and it says, God, harden me against myself, the coward with pathetic voice, who craves for ease and rest and joy, myself, arch-traitor to myself, my hollowest friend, my deadliest foe, my clog, whatever road I go. The greatest obstacle in my life is me. The greatest challenge for me to overcome is me. Oh, I know the devil tempts, but he can't tempt me unless I'm willing to give in to it. 
I have to deal with Sam Powell. I have to put Sam Powell on the cross every day. If I'm going to glorify Jesus, I've got to go and have that garden time, that quiet time where I come out, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. That's why I'm in my Bible every day. That's why I'm in meditation and prayer every day because I struggle to deny myself, to say no, and to be like him. And yet it's the door to an unleashed power and presence that gives glory to God. So let's hit a few points just practically. Number one, glorifying self glorifies God. When you deal with you, when you deny yourself, when you imitate Jesus, God is lifted up. And that is our purpose and aim in life. You see, Jesus... Even before he gets to the Garden of Gethsemane and he's he's talking to his disciples, he says, now my heart is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice from heaven, then then a voice from heaven came said, I, I have glorified it and I will glorify it. Again, what has been your best moment, your finest hour as a Christian, your greatest days as a disciple? When were they? When were those times in your life when you look back on and you go, yes, I I was in the zone. I was with God and God was with me. And, and, and I felt his presence in my life. Oftentimes we think that's when we had our victories and successes, but oftentimes it's when we're going through our trials and struggles. Those are our defining moments. That's when we give the greatest glory to God. When we fight through the struggle, and we keep our eyes on him and we're unwavering in our faith as difficult as it may be that's when we show god that we really trust in him that's when we're at our very best you know in 2009 i was serving as an elder in the new york church and my daughter left the faith and it was four long years that she steps outside of the lord and I decided without any encouragement from others, but just being open and transparent with others, I decided to step down from the eldership. And it was in those times that in a deeper way, I learned what unconditional love was. As my, as someone I loved as more than any person on earth outside of my wife was captive to Satan's schemes broke my heart but I learned unconditional love and yes there were quite a few times when I told Cynthia that's your daughter that's your family that ain't me but it was me and I learned unconditional love I learned in a deeper way to trust God I saw in a clear way what my motives should really be 
that it's not about position, but it's about praising and living in obedience to God. It's about walking with him and pleasing him. In my 44 years as a disciple, my greatest struggles have been my greatest opportunities to say, not my will, but your will be done. And it's in those times that God has refined my faith and helped me to know him better and to be a better disciple. You see, when you go through struggle, when you crucify self, it gives glory to God, church. It lifts him up. You know, there's a song that I love to, I'm not that good a singer, but I, I love to meditate on it. And the, and the title of the song is When My Love to Christ Grows Weak. For you young folks, that's an, that's an oldie goldie. But let me share some of the words to you because they help move me as I'm meditating. When my love to Christ grows weak, when for deeper faith I seek. Then in thought I go to thee, garden of Gethsemane. When my love for man grows weak, when for stronger faith I seek, hill of Calvary I go to the scenes of fear and woe. There behold his agony, suffered on the bitter tree. See his anguish, see his faith, love triumphant still in death. Then to life I turn again, learning all the worth of pain, learning all the might that lies in a full self-sacrifice. There's power in a full self-sacrifice. When we deny ourselves, that's when we're at our best as followers of Jesus. Sacrifice and selflessness unleashes us to a higher level of spirituality and connection with Jesus. That's why Paul said in Philippians, I want to know Christ and the, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. The communion is about celebrating the death of Jesus. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of my death. Do this and remember that you need to go back to the cross. And be crucified all over again. Day after day. Are you ready and willing to go to complete surrender and trust in God? Are you ready to go there? With your present with your future, with your family, with your career, with your discipleship? Are you ready to go all the way there to the cross? A lot of people go to the garden and they and they weep and they wail, but they won't go to the cross. It's okay to be in the garden, but the garden is to prepare you for the cross. Not my will, but your will be done. Crucifying self also strengthens relationships. You know, even on the cross, who was Jesus thinking about? He was thinking of others. He told Mary, he said, dear woman, looking at John, here's your son. He told John, here's your mother. Man, I think, what would I have been thinking about on the cross? I would have been thinking about me. When is this thing going to end? And if anybody would have said anything to me, I would have like, you know what? I'm going to come down from here if you don't shut up. But praise God, Jesus is my example and my model, right? But but I, I have to struggle with me. 
You know, Paul wrote in Philippians, he says, in Philippians, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. This is how you make relationships great. Or vain conceit. But in humility, do what, church? Consider others better than yourselves. Would that revolutionize our fellowship, our marriages, our families? Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. He goes on to say, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's why we look to him. That's why he's our Lord and our Savior. That's why he's our hero. Most people celebrate the birthdays of great men. We celebrate the death of Jesus. Because in the death of Jesus, he gives glory to God. And he shows us how to have great relationships with one another. It is our selfishness that destroys and cripples relationships. The what about me attitude. Do you have any people in your ministry who are stuck? Who are stuck in in a bad marriage with bad attitudes? People who are stuck in a bad experience? Still stuck in 2002 or 2003? Do you have people who are stuck with crippling character flaws? I know we do. Cynthia and I are trying to help a, 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 some couples right now who are stuck in their marriage. I mean, it's like, what'd you get married for? You didn't get married to get stuck. You got married to come into the promised land of joy and intimacy and a, and a great life. But we find Christians in our fellowship, and maybe it's just unique to New York, but but I'm just going to share it with you, who after 20 years of marriage are stuck because they're selfish. They won't crucify themselves. Some of them don't even live together anymore. They're not divorced. They just live across the street. What is that? And somehow they've justified it. It's, it's crazy. And it's the bad habits of defensiveness and stonewalling and resentment instead of humility, confession, and acceptance. How do you get unstuck? You get back on the cross. Not my will, but your will be done. Relationships are not easy. But the way you make them work is you consider others better. You consider your wife better than yourself. And you just don't spend all your money on Home Depot. <laughs> you realize that there are other places that you may never want to go in. I don't want to go in Joanne Fabrics <laughs> or the Christmas tree store or any of those places. Uh, but, but, but I go. I go, I mean, some of them don't even have a men's department. But it's just not about me. I definitely don't want to drive there, but I, but I take her there and it's just all in the name of, of selflessness. We want the big screen TV, but we, we, we don't want to buy the girl a pair of shoes. How's that going to work? 
How's that going to work? It's all, it can't just all be about you. I'm just trying to make it practical here. Deny yourself, man. Deny yourself. Crucify yourself. I mean, consider her, <laughs> consider her better than yourself. And the things that they like, we, we, we don't care about. My wife cares nothing about Home Depot. I don't know if she's ever even been in one. At least not, not intentionally. <laughs> but we, we, we got to work together here. And I've got to respect her. And the more we're together, the more we see our need for one another. We can't even make it without each other. We need each other to watch a movie together. Because she can't see it and I can't hear it. <laughs> and so I'm like, what, what is that? And she's like, what'd they say? I mean, it's like, so this is how we make marriage work. It's selflessness. That's what happens the longer you're together, man. You need each other. My best friends in the kingdom are people who think about God's church the way I think about it. Who live with the conviction, not my will, but but your will be done. People who are more concerned about the kingdom and God's people than they are about themselves. That's why Larry Craig is one of my best friends. Because he's selfless. And we connect. Maurice Hooks, Phil Garrison... You know, later on in Philippians, Paul mentions Timothy and Epaphroditus because they were kindred spirit. Selfish people in the kingdom hang out together. And selfless people in the kingdom hang out together. You know, it's been great being with Steve and and Carrie. And we connect because we're fighting the same battles. We're in the trenches trying to get this done. And my job is much harder than his, but he encourages me. He says, y'all are easy sometimes. Some of you, not all of you. I won't mention any names today. Finally, crucifying self is the path to success. You know, this ministry, as every ministry, has the potential to do amazing things for God. That's why we're here. And the cross is what we've got to go go to to get there. You know, Jesus is the ultimate standard and role model for our lives. Even when you read about the great list of of heroes in, in Hebrews 11, that great list of great men and women of faith, what does the Hebrew writer tell us in verse, in chapter 12? He says, you know, you're surrounded by a great crowd of witnesses and they're all awesome and they're all commendable. He says, but let us fix our eyes on who? Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We need to set our eyes on Jesus. A Christ-centered, selfless body of believers, let me tell you, you can't stop it. It's powerful. It's amazing. And Satan works so hard to get us to think about me, 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 me. Mine, mine, mine. So many disciples have eye trouble. I need. I want. I was overlooked. It's not about you. It's about you crucifying you. And you go back to Acts 2, 
I'm, I'm supposed to be moving here. It says here, here in, in Acts 2, you, you, and we use this in New York. This is the blueprint of what the church should be like. This is it. But where did it start? It started early when Peter came before those thousands of people and said, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And the Bible says they were cut to the heart and said, brothers, what shall we do? We need to be a church that is still tenderhearted. Man, if your heart gets hard and there's no sermon, there's no Bible verse, there's no biblical example that, that, that convicts you or moves you or stirs your soul, you're getting far from God. I pray, God, that, that when I open the scriptures, they still move me. That when I meditate on the cross and I think about what Jesus did for me, that it moves my spirit to deny myself and to move forward because nobody's done for me what Jesus has done for me. And the only way we're going to save this world is we've got to take them to the cross and get them to see that, yes, they too crucified him by the sin that they committed. And he loved you so much that if you're the only one who died, he would have gone to the cross for you. And one day I'm going to see him. I'm going to see him face to face. And I want to hear him say, it was worth it for you. If I had to do it all over again, I'd do it for you. Because you responded to my sacrifice and to my love. That's where we need to be as a church. And when we get this message, we'll be able to imitate Acts 2. When it says all the believers living in wonderful harmony, holding everything in common. They sold whatever they owned and pulled their resources together so that each person's needs was met. Acts 4.32 said, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of its possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. You know, you've got a missions contribution coming up, and so do we. You know, in North America, in the churches in North America, the average giving per member is $170 per member. You know, we, we challenge the disciples in New York to give at least a dollar a day for missions. Make that your, your, your floor and go up from there. And we did that starting in 2012. And when you mount, when you multiply 2,800 times 365, you get $1.2 million. And that's what we gave last year. We gave $1.2 million for missions because disciples decided he died for me. Let me be selfless and die and give my finances so that others can be saved. You can, you, you can do amazing things to God's glory. If every disciple will decide I'm going to crucify me for him. For his glory. Because this is what helps the church to be successful. And if the church is successful, God is glorified. I want to leave you with this scripture. Make this your theme. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. 
The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's start each day with the conviction and the theme, not my will, but your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done in my prayer life and Bible study. Not my will, but your will be done in my discipleship. Not my will, but your will be done in my personal purity and in my dating life. Not my will, but your will be done in my character. Not my will, but your will be done in my efforts to seek and save the lost. Not my will, but your will be done in my relationship with my spouse. Not my will, but your will be done in my relationship with my children. And not my will, but your will be done in my relationship here in the church, in my role in the church. Let's unleash these bad habits of selfishness and unleash the spirit of God, which is able to do through him immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. Let's build a great church and to God be the glory. Thank you. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.